0: so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire.
1: Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel is from um, the 14th chapter of Luke this week, and it's one of my favorites. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it, because I've talked about it uh, many times before. It's a great parable about people coming in to the banquet and, and looking for the the places of honor looking for the highest places and Jesus says take the lowest place you know and then maybe the the master will say come up higher and the whole point of that is the way we love should not be a game of expectation of reward i'll love you that you might love me i'll do something good for you that you might repay me rather when you hold a banquet Jesus says invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind because of their inability to repay you. That's the key, isn't it? See, when you love, that means you will the good of the other. But what happens is we undermine love in this subtle way by actually seeking our own good through the other. I'll be kind to you that you might be kind to me. And that is so central to the gospel because that's the way God loves. That's the way God loves. He makes his sun to shine in the good and bad alike. God loves you when you're a saint. He loves you when you're a sinner. He loves you when you respond to him. He loves you when you don't respond to him. That's the way we should love. So that lesson is so important. But I'm not going to focus on it because I've talked about it many times before. But uh, if you want, take a look at that uh, wonderful passage in the 14th chapter of Luke. What I want to focus on today, though, is our second reading. And the second reading is from the letter to the Hebrews. And I've encouraged you, I know in the past, to sit down and plow through that letter. Maybe with a good commentary. N.T. Wright, the um, great scripture scholar, has a really good, popular commentary on the letter to the Hebrews. It's so important because it's one of the earliest texts in theology. It was written almost certainly not by Paul. There's a consensus now that Paul himself didn't write it, but probably someone in Paul's circle or disciple of Paul. But it's a very sustained theological meditation on the meaning of Jesus, what Jesus is about. The author of this letter, whoever he was, was undoubtedly a man of the temple. Now, the temple was destroyed in the year 70 by the Romans. So, this is an author who um, maybe grew up around the temple or was acquainted with it prior to its destruction. He knew all about the liturgical rhythms and sacrifices of that holy place. And I know I've told you before, but for the ancient Israelites, the temple was everything. The temple was the center of their life. They went up to Jerusalem to enter into the temple. The temple was Yahweh's dwelling place on earth. This author's principal point is that Jesus is himself the new and everlasting temple. He is the place where divinity and humanity come together. More to it, he is himself the everlasting high priest. Think of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, who would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, who would perform this atoning sacrifice, who would then come out of the Holy of Holies with the blood of the animal, and he'd sprinkle it on the people. It was a sign of the reconciliation between God and his people. What does his author see? He sees that Jesus performed that perfect sacrifice on the cross. So he is the high priest who reconciled divinity and humanity in the Holy of Holies, which is the cross. Wonderful, wonderful connection that was made now very early on. Well, in the passage for today, which is from the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews, he looks at what I would call the time-transcending quality of the temple. On the one hand, the temple looked back to Mount Sinai the place where Moses received the law and performed a great sacrifice on behalf of the people. Keep in mind, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Holy of Holies, at the heart of the temple. And then over and over again, animal sacrifices were performed there, harking back to Moses, harking back to Mount Sinai. But this backward look was, he implies, rather terrifying. We hear in the book of Exodus that Anyone who touched the base of Mount Sinai was killed at that one point when when Yahweh comes down on the mountain. We hear of commandments that are largely negative in form, thou shalt not. The blood of these killed animals was sprinkled. Well see, all this was appropriate during the reign of sin. As long as we are fundamentally opposed to God, we need severe commandments, we need strict prohibitions. We need the pain of sacrifice to signal this out-of-step quality. Now, what the author of the letter of the Hebrews is saying is that this backward look to Mount Sinai is in light of Jesus no longer paramount and no longer primary. Why? Why? Well, because the perfect priest has come and has performed the perfect sacrifice what begins with Moses, what continues with the old temple has now been fulfilled. The law has been fulfilled in him. Think of those 10 commandments given to Moses. What God demands, well, the people never quite fulfill it. And the people never quite do it. But now in Jesus, the law has been fulfilled. The sacrifice has been made. And so, as I said, we find ourselves with Christ in the new and heavenly temple. The high priest has taken all of us now into the Holy of Holies, where we find communion with God. So, listen now to the remarkable language he uses. You have approached Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and countless angels in festal gathering, and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. This is terrific language, isn't it? What he's saying is, we can now look forward with confidence into the future, into the world that God holds out to us, which is the heavenly temple. See, the place of right praise, the place of communion with God. Notice, please, that he envisions it as the author of the book of Revelation does, as a city. Heaven is not an individualist state of being. It's not a place where we stand alone with God. No, it's a community, a society, a city, a place of mutuality and interdependence. As all the tribes of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai, as all the tribes went up to Mount Zion to the temple, so now he's saying, through Jesus the high priest, we will all come together in the heavenly temple. You see how he looks back? He looks to the present. He looks to the future. All under the rubric of temple and priesthood. That's the letter to the Hebrews. That's what he sees. Notice too, this is a wonderful detail, that our communion will be not just with God and our fellow human beings, but with angels around this heavenly temple we have angels too those beings at a higher pitch of spiritual perfection it's jesus sacrifice which has made this reality possible okay now i realize some of you who are listening to me might be thinking well that's all nice but it seems kind of distant and abstract and i guess in the first century some israelites might have thought this way but see nothing could be further from the truth why why Because the Mass, the Mass, the central prayer of the Catholic Church makes all of this eminently real. The Mass takes place where? In a kind of temple, around an altar, where a sacrifice is performed. That's why the Mass looks all the way back to Mount Sinai. The sacrifice performed there. That's why the Mass looks back to the ancient temple of Jerusalem. That's why a priest in the vestment of a temple priest presides at it. That's why blood is not simply sprinkled on the people, but rather offered to them as drink. The Mass, you see now, guided by the author of the letter of the Hebrews, the Mass looks back to Mount Sinai. Further, the Mass realizes even now, it represents, that's the jargon that we tend to use in theology, it represents, it makes present again the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It makes present to us Calvary and all that that entails. Jesus offered his body and blood to the Father on Good Friday. We offer his body and blood to the Father at every Mass. The Mass is Mount Sinai. The Mass is the ancient temple. The Mass is also Calvary. And finally, the Mass looks forward to the final consummation. The Mass is our anticipation, even now, of the heavenly banquet. Notice how we invoke the angels at several points during Mass. At the Gloria, we invoke the song of the angels. At the Holy, Holy, prior to the Eucharistic prayer, we say, May our voices be one with theirs. That means with the angels, as they sing their song of praise. It's why we invoke the saints. Look around your church, the depictions of the saints. In their heavenly state. We're worshiping with them. Why? As we will in fullness one day in heaven. The Mass anticipates, it looks forward to that moment. It's why we sing in harmony with each other, anticipating even now, despite our differences, the day when we will be all in all. It's why so much of the Mass elders in white robes, the reading from a sacred scroll, the use of incense, choral singing, the presence of the Lamb of God resembles the great vision in the book of Revelation. Because we are meant to be symbolically participating even now in heaven. The author of the letter to the Hebrews looks back to Sinai he looks at his own present, to the sacrifice of Jesus. He looks forward to the consummation. At Mass, we do the same thing. We look back to Sinai, back to the temple. We look to the present when Christ's sacrifice is made real to us. And we look forward to the heavenly consummation. Can you see now why the Vatican II Fathers refer to the Mass as the source and summit of the Christian life. Can you see now why they wanted, in their famous phrase, full, conscious, and active participation in it? They wanted us to understand the Mass in all its dimensions, that we might enter more fully into it. And can you see why it would break their hearts that so many Catholics now stay away from the Mass? One way to read all of Vatican II, I think, was an attempt to get Catholics more fully engaged in the Mass. So, go back to the letter of the Hebrews and realize how it's teaching us that the Mass is the pivot around which all of history turned. The Mass, looking back, looking to the present, looking to the future, is the source and summit
0: of the Christian life.
1: And God bless you.
0: I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father
1: Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.